0: I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 127, and today's guest is Daron Ruveni, founder and CEO of Applause. Building a successful company is incredibly difficult. It is not a sprint. It's not even a marathon. It's more like an Ironman competition, where you have to train for multiple events and do it at a massive scale. Well, Duran can definitely relate to this analogy, as he is an Ironman competitor, biker, and marathoner. He and his co-founder Roy Solomon disrupted the software testing industry with a new approach by leveraging a crowdsourcing model. Applause went on to raise over $115 million in funding and was later acquired by Vista Equity Partners in 2017. And here's a fun fact that you might not know. Applause was originally known as UTest, and they were one of the very first sponsors of VentureFizz. It was UTest, General Catalyst, and Akamai, and without their support in the early days of VentureFizz, we might not even exist. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Duran's background story and professional history, how the idea of U Test originated, how they built up the community of testers and started to gain traction with customers, the story behind the rebranding of the company the current state of their business in terms of size and scale, advice for founders on how to remain a CEO of your company over the long term, the hardest part of scaling a business, how to build a management team, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. Did you know that you can get customized job alerts delivered to your inbox every day? It's a great way to keep informed of the over 4,000 jobs listed on VentureFizz and have jobs from a specific category sent directly to you. Don't let that career-defining opportunity pass you by. Go to VentureFizz.com backslash email to sign up. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Duran. Duran, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Okay, so uh, we go way back to the early days of VentureFizz. Here's probably a a fun fact that people might not recognize, but Applause, and we're going to talk about the rebrand, was originally known as Mm -hmm. U-Test. U-Test was actually one of the very first sponsors of VentureFizz from the early days when I was just getting the site going. Uh, We always had a job board, so people were paying for posting jobs. But I needed another way to kind of help fund the development of VentureFizz. And Utest was the first sponsor, along with Akamai and General Catalyst. So, uh, thank you so much for that, because without your help and early support, VentureFizz might not exist today. <laughs> ah, you're welcome. And it was, you know, it, I, I think it was great early days at the time, so... It was and it was a good match because our you know customers and what you guys were doing as far as that market at that point in time, uh, it was good exposure and it definitely worked out well. But uh, but yeah, it was uh, I just remember the early days. Your logo was right on the home page along with Akamai and General Catalyst. So yes, and you know for us
1: at the time, our focus was on startup and you know early stage founders which are building a company in order to help them with the quality and the testing, and that's why it was a perfect match for us to advertise on a site that caters to founders and. Yeah. you know, young CEOs at the starting companies.
0: Yeah, exactly. Now, the other thing that I find fascinating about you is the fact that you are a, uh, you know, you, you love to, uh, run, bike and swim apparently. Cause you're an Ironman triathlete. <laughs> so yeah. anyone that can compete in the legit Ironman, it's not like somebody that's doing like the scale down version of those, which I still wouldn't be able to do, but anyone that's doing the, um, how long is the swim? Two and a half miles? Or? Uh, yeah, it's a two point four mile
1: swim. Then it's a hundred and twelve mile bike, and then it's a running a marathon at the end,
0: which is absolutely insane. So I always like, like, how would you relate, you know, with training and competing in an Ironman to you know building and running a tech company?
1: So, so you know, just as a background, I was originally a runner, so this is where I kind of started off, and I actually competed in the Boston Marathon. Ten times, you know. My wife asked me, "When are you gonna stop?" And I said, "I'm gonna do ten, and then I'm gonna stop." And then after ten, she asked me, oh, "Okay, what now?" And I said, "That's it. I'm done." <laughs> uh-huh. So I stopped doing that. And then I was looking for, I would say, another hobby in you know, order to get into because one of the things that you know, sports and athletics give me a balance between kind of family, work, and then you know, hobbies. And you know, I started doing triathlons and then an Ironman. You know, I kind of got to the Ironman. Always wanted to do like the Hawaiian Ironman and You know, it's like uh, I would say it's an iconic thing that many triathletes want to do. Uh, I would say that there's uh, so other than just the life balance of, you know, the capability to go train in the morning and actually disconnect from all, you know, electronics and actually think when you run or think when you bike. And that's my best time to get new ideas. So it helps me in that aspect. But I will also say that there's a lot of similarities because, you know, in order to actually be trained for an Ironman and participate in Ironman, you know, one of the things that you need is consistency, right? You need to get up in the morning and every day you need to be consistent about the stuff that you do. So that's kind of one thing. And and the other thing which is very, uh, you know, which is very typical between an Ironman and running and building a company is that, you know, You're going to have, uh, you know, hard times and good times, both in your training as well as in your racing, right? There's going to be low points and high points. And it's exactly like building a business, building a company, right? There's going to be hard times. There's going to be good times. uh, And you need to be able to kind of uh, take it in proportion and and kind of even it out. So I think that's kind of another thing that that kind of relates very well between training for an Ironman, running, doing an, an Ironman, and actually building and running a company.
0: Yeah, no, it's the endurance and that training to get to the point where you can actually compete. Um, you know, there's definitely a lot of analogy there. So let's go kind of rewind the clock. I always love the kind of early background stories of people. So so where'd you grow up? What were you like as a kid? Uh, so I actually,
1: I have a, diff, a little bit of a different childhood because I actually grew up in Israel. So, you know, that's why, you know, your audience can you know, sees my funny accent. It's actually an Israeli accent. Uh, so that's where I grew up. And uh, I would say as a, as a kid, I was a very independent, which, you know, is very typical of Israelis growing up in Israel. Um, and, you know, I would say that I wasn't a great student, uh, I think, until I got to like the late stage in high school. Uh, and it's because it wasn't really interesting for me, and, you know, it became more of a target, you know, when you go to high school, because then you're starting to think about your life and what happens after that. So that's kind of how I grew up, uh, and, you know, I, I don't know how much of your audience knows, but, you know, when you finish high school in Israel, you actually go to the army. Mm-hmm. You actually don't go directly to college, and, uh, you know, I was I was fortunate enough to be in this uh, Special programs that, uh, you know, allowed you to go to the army, gain some experience in what you learn, but also finish a degree at the same time. So I joined this special program, uh, finished my degree in parallel to being in the army, uh, spent about five years uh, in the military, uh, in the intelligence forces. And, you know, I think the other thing that 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 kind of gave me is that at a very young age, about the age of 18 or 19, you get significant amount of responsibility. Uh, both from a budget perspective, but also from a decision-making perspective that sometimes is, you know, more critical than just, you know, budget and money. It's basically, um, you know, kind of life decision, people decisions, and and you got to grow up really quickly. So I think that kind of taught me a lot. Uh, and at that point in time, I knew that, you know, once I leave the army, I want to be an
0: entrepreneur and kind of start my own business. So that was something that you kind of always knew that you wanted to start a company someday.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, like young people, I always knew that I do want to start. I didn't know how good I'll be at it. Um, so that was, you know, always something which is in the back of my mind. You know, I did learn computer science in school, so I did start with more of a technical degree initially, uh, and kind of transformed to, you know, understanding business and go to market a little bit later in my career. But I think, you know, as a CEO and founder, having a good technical foundation, uh, it's something which is important, right? Because you know, all companies today are based on a technology foundation, I and mean, that's super critical in order to be successful.
0: So, what were the, some of the uh, like you know early jobs after the military or uh, you know post graduation? And then, uh, at what point did you move to the US?
1: Uh, so, after after the military, because I already had my you know degree in computer science, I actually went and worked for a startup which was called Enigma at the time. Um, And I started uh, running their engineering organization. So I was basically a VP of engineering uh, for a small startup that scaled over time. Um, I think at some point in time, you know, after doing that for about two years, I realized that I need to, I, I kind of realized two things. One, you know, VP engineering is not for me. I need to move to do something else. I wanted to get closer to customers and users uh, and there was an opportunity with Enigma to actually move out to Boston and uh, start their go-to-market uh, because they finished developing a pro- uh, the product and they started. They needed to start doing a go-to-market approach, meaning, you know, some marketing, you know, building a sales team. And that was a great opportunity for me to actually move over uh, to Boston and actually start building, you know, the go-to-market approach for Enigma. And that's actually what I did. So. Uh, completely new to me, very exciting, you know, start to understand branding and marketing and hiring salespeople and then going and doing pitches, you know, that, that it, it was a lot of learning at the beginning.
0: So you had this like very well-rounded foundation because, you know, the military experience that also teaches you leadership. And we've had other Israeli founders on this program. And this, that, that yep. experience just seems to be so... Uh, just critical and translates so well into entrepreneurship of what these founders have been able to accomplish based on that foundation experience. And then Enigma, you joined when the company was early stage, leadership role, and then you know coming into the the U.S. and starting to really build a team that kind of built out this foundation for you. That you know now I can see why Applause has been so successful. But what? So what was it about? Um, you know, what was that aha moment that led you down the path of like I, I have this idea. Uh, or, you know, you and your co-founder, Roy, you know, starting, what was you test at the time?
1: Yeah, so, I, you know, at, at a certain point in time, I think uh, I decided to leave Enigma and potentially, you know, look for something to do, you know, kind of, you know, as my own business. I did some consulting, uh, primarily to, v, to VCs in Israel uh, that, you know, in order to help their customers actually go around the go-to market in the U.S., which is exactly what I did for Enigma. And that's actually when, where I met Roy and, you know, we need to remember this is like 2007, Um, you know, crowdsourcing didn't exist as a term at the time, you know, uh, iPhone wasn't launched yet, you know, App Store didn't exist, Uh, apps, you know, didn't exist at the time. And Roy had this idea of, uh, he actually came from the space of, of testing and quality and he has this idea of you know, I, the pain that he basically saw in the market was, you know, it doesn't really matter how much I spend on testing and quality for software. Uh, People, I spend on people, on process on methodology and tools. When software gets to the hands of real people, there's still multiple issues that get found. Uh, And his idea was, you know, what if I can test closer, you know, to my customers, to my users uh, on configuration and devices and web browsers that my, customers and users really use and that was kind of his idea and his idea was you know let's build a global community of test engineers and test in the wild on real environments and real
0: configuration so it was a very forward-looking idea and totally disruptive because before that I mean you had you would have to as a company you would hire all these manual testers that were actually that was their job they would test the product all day uh, what was it? Segway was like the automated testing softwares where you'd like... Yeah, the, I, think, I think Segway,
1: I think Mercury
0: existed yeah, Mercury. at the time
1: for the enterprises. Uh, I think uh, doing testing in India, you know, the offshore onshore model was pretty big because we're talking about the 90s here. Uh, but, you know, again, crowdsourcing, even LinkedIn, which was a kind of a beginning of a community, was really early days, right? Um, so yeah, it was, uh, you know, I'll hand it off to Roy. I mean, the guy is a very talented and forward looking guy. And I think, uh, you know, he, he, hit it right on the nail that like there was a need in the market for it. Now, having said that, I would say that, you know, the, the original business model had to mature over time. And obviously the technology had to be built. Uh, but the original idea has a sig- had a significant amount of merit, assuming obviously you execute it well.
0: And exactly, like so. It's great to have ideas. It comes down to execution. How did you go about building the community at first? Because this was a global community. It wasn't like just hey, let's gather some uh, you know people that are interested in testing products in Boston.
1: Yeah. So you need to remember, like at the beginning, like we had no community, and then we had no customers, right? So you gotta kind of gotta start from somewhere. And I think what we did was actually pretty smart at the time. So we started developing our what I would call our uh, uh, tester onboarding uh, technology, which is a bunch of screens that the tester goes through in order to vet himself and, you know, kind of uh, profile himself. Uh, and that's basically the only piece of technology that we had at the time. And what we did is we actually launched that and we paid testers in order to test it. And we were vetting their bugs manually. And that's how we kind of went about you know, building the first, I would say, subset of community, which was originally about 100 people, that's it. Uh, but they were vetted and rated by us based on them testing our technology. And I would say that, you know, interesting enough, you know, up until today, uh, we use our community of testers in order to test our technology platform, meaning we eat our, do- our own dog food, right? So um, we, today, obviously, we have a daily build and we run cycles nightly with our community. It's completely different. Uh, but again, you know, we, we use our technology as well, like everybody else.
0: Yeah. And then you obviously, um, you know, started to get traction with customers. How were you able to get those early adoptive customers that were like, okay, this is a unique way of doing testing and getting them to believe and say, yes, you know, this is something that's going to work for our business.
1: Yeah. So at the beginning, it was me. Like I was a sales guy. And, uh, you know, the first thing, like every type of company, you first go into friends and family. Right. So, you know, my background was in engineering. So it's, it's all the VPs of engineering that I knew. And I would say I even started earlier than, you know, launching. I started talking to them about, you know, if we be, if I build this, will you come? Uh, And I had 10 beta customers signed up before I actually even launched because they were intrigued enough to basically say, yeah, it's something that we want to try. Now, these were small companies, uh, you know, kind of startups, which really had nothing to lose at the time. And, you know, the premise was interesting enough for them to try. And obviously they had some level of trust in me, but, uh, you know, I had to work pretty hard in order to get the first 10. And then, you know, I, I do remember that, we decided to open, you know, the, the platform, I think it was on the weekend. Um, and, you know, remember we had 10 beta customers and then we had about a hundred testers. That's basically it. And we decided to open it up. Uh, it was on the weekend. It was Saturday. I was in Boston. It was in the middle of the winter. I remember actually going to the gym uh, when Roy opened the platform and suddenly we saw this sphere of, testers and customers communicating and chatting and bugs coming through. And it was, wow, <laughs> that is actually is working. Now, obviously we had a lot of issues at the time, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think initially it became very appealing and then, you know, customers, once you do a good job for them and, you know, definitely as a founder, as a CEO, focus on your customers, they'll refer their friends. They'll, they'll shout that they're using this amazing piece of technology, amazing company and, You know, that's, that's how you kind of grow initially.
0: And how were you able to fund the business? At like, what point were you able to raise capital and like subsequent? So,
1: you know, at the beginning when I had the PowerPoint and the idea, I tried to raise capital and, uh, honestly, that wasn't easy because, uh, remember this is 2007 and and this was not a, initially it wasn't a technology innovation. It was a business model innovation, um, And, you know, I would say at the time, VCs did not like to invest in business model innovation because people assumed that business model can be replicated while you need to have this rocket science technology that no one can replicate and you can patent in order to build a great company. Mm -hmm. Now, that's obviously different now, but that was kind of the perception at the time. And um, I tried to raise money probably for close to a year uh I got significantly more no's than a yes uh and then eventually I got some angel money uh from someone who was uh you know i think was excited about was excited enough about me and enough about Roy in order to give us you know the initial check which was seven hundred and fifty thousand and that's how we we started, you know, kind of building the business. And then after that, you know, it was much easier. We had, we have proof points, we had validation. It was easier to raise money.
0: And then how did you start to scale a business? Now you kind of highlighted earlier that, you know, this was a time frame when the iPhone and, you know, the app stores and apps didn't exist, but then that did happen. So when did you know, uh, UTest really start to skyrocket as far as you know seeing you know, mass adoption from customers and obviously growing the community of testers? Yeah.
1: So I would say the first year that we started, actually launched, it was 2008. We sold about 100,000. And then 2009, we sold about a million. In 2010, we sold about 4 million. So that was uh, kind of our uh, initial growth And I I would say that uh, two things happened. One, uh, we built an inside sales team. Uh, We hired a VP sales. uh, And then we hired a great marketer, you know, Matt Johnston, we talked about him. And he was able to establish, you know, a brand uh, around Utest and, uh, you know, help build the the community. uh, And then over time also help market to, you know, early stage startups that are more willing to be early adopters and try different things and that was kind of i would say the core foundation of how the company got built the interesting thing is that uh, even before the iphone was actually launched you know uh, mobile started picking up you know on blackberry and other type of platforms and one day we got a call from google um well, that was kind of a, you know, that, I would say that was an aha moment of, okay, I got something big here if Google is calling me and, right. and they need help, right? <laughs> right. Uh, and apparently, you know, they had this uh, BlackBerry app that they provided Google search. And the problem was we had to test it internationally because we had no idea what's going on in, you know, to the 60 countries that we're in. Um, and they said, can you help us? And we said, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the truth is we couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Fake it because, <laughs> uh, yeah, because our community was primarily U S based. So, uh, we had to work really hard to kind of scale and build an international community at the time. And we actually did an amazing job for Google, which, you know, they're a customer up until now. So we, we work on, I think 14 or 15 different product lines with them. And they were one of our early adopters in 2009 and, you know, uh, grew as a customer over those years.
0: And I'm sure, you know, to be able to reference Google as a customer and, you know, I'm sure they would be, you know, willing to provide a testimonial or reference for, for marketing. And-, and,
1: and, and by the way, they were. I mean, I, I reached out and they asked them, hey, you know, can we put your logo on our website? And they thought about it and said, okay. Uh, so yeah. we did. And that was obviously helpful. Uh, you know, so, yeah, that was kind of the start.
0: So at some point, you decided to rebrand. You went from UTest to Applause, which I have two questions. So you know what was the decision behind the rebrand and selecting Applause? And then how did you land that incredible domain, that, like a single word, dot com? <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. So so first of all, I have a, I have a story about UTest. Uh, so UTest is not a bad name as well. It's basically, you know, UTest. Yeah. Um, Appropriate. Yeah, so that one actually Roy found uh, when we had no money, we had no funding at the time, and uh, he convinced the guys that was selling the domain to sell it for him for like $2,700 at the time. He basically said, you know, I'm a university student, I'm using it for a project, and mm-hmm. that's how we got the UTES domain. Uh, in regards to rebranding, so we were actually pretty smart about seeing the app evolution and the digital evolution. Mm -hmm. And uh, we felt that if we continue with an NU test, it's going to prohibit our growth at some point in time because it doesn't really, um, it doesn't really correlate to exactly what we do. It's too literal and not aspirational enough. And, you know, we believe that digital is going to take over everything and apps is going to be the way people interact with the, you know, computers and phones. Uh, and we were looking for, uh, for, for a name that I would say is more appropriate of what we do. And, you know, this is where we we're looking for various types of name and applause came about. And, you know, applause is, you know, it's perfectly spelled. It's positive. It has app at the beginning. Um, it has all, you know, it's all about what we want to do, which is basically help our customers get more applause from their customers and users right that was kind of our mission statement at the time and and we we basically acquired it so there were uh three people that uh, owned applause uh dot com the domain and we basically offered them a price
0: so did you have the name that you had already decided on from a brand and then figure out okay who owns applause.com. Otherwise we'll have to use applause, something else or some other configuration of that domain.
1: Yeah, that's exactly the way it was. I mean, uh, that was kind of one pass that we took. The other path is we looked at other types of names, which are similar in the space, but you know, applause is the one that we liked. Um, so we made uh, an offer in order to buy it at the time. And it was a low six figure offer. Uh, and we managed to pull it off. Right. And, you know, once you do that, um, you know, we registered trademark trade and then we got the Facebook and the Twitter handler and everything associated with it. And
0: yeah, it, it's a great name. Now, what's, what's the current stage of applause as far as your business and scale employees, like the current state of, of,
1: yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So, uh, I, you know, very happy to say that we're growing as a company year over year. Last year we grew 30%, uh, top line and, and that's obviously at a pretty high scale. Uh, we have uh, three main offices. Our headquarters is out of Boston. Uh, we have an office here in the Valley, in San Mateo. That's where I spend the majority of my time. And then we have an office in Berlin that caters to our European customers. We are about 400 employees. Um, we, focus, we work with many types of uh, enterprises across different types of industries because, you know, today what we do a lot is around uh, helping brands perfect the digital experience. So we work with, you know, uh, software companies and financial institutions and media companies uh really across nine industries because every industry today is doing business digitally and then from a top line perspective you know we've passed last year the 100 million dollars of uh, annual recurring revenue so you know obviously scaling very nicely and and this year is a is a also a profitable year for us so we're starting to turn a profit as well so um, obviously exciting times, you know, if you can continue to grow at that same rate, that's obviously a very promising trend.
0: Now there was a significant event a couple of years ago where Vista equity partners, um, you know, acquired applause, right? Yeah, that's true. So, so how did that come together? Like, I'm always fascinated by the you know acquisition story. Like you're just, you know, heads down building a, a company that's venture backed. Um, you know, I'm sure at some point when people are noticing that your company is scaling, growing, doing well, there is an inbound level of phone calls or emails of interest of, hey, love to learn more about your business. So, so what, how does that all kind of come together?
1: That was kind of uh, interesting because, you know, we were, not, we were not looking to sell the business. We were actually, um, we were actually kind of starting to prepare to go public uh, at the time. Uh, And you have to remember, I raised uh, over the 10 years, you know, until the acquisition, $120 million in venture funding. So I raised quite a lot of money. So I had early-stage investors and late-stage investors. And, uh, you know, we were not selling the – we were preparing to go public, you know, not immediately that year, but, you know, down the road. And, you know, I would say the board composition already included independent independent board members and we had the, you know – a finance committee and when I had an audit committee, so we were preparing to have like a public board. Um, And then, you know, the relationship with Vista came about and I think that I felt uh, two things. One, um, I felt that uh, there'll be a good firm to partner with, um, meaning they will continue to make investments in the business as a partner in order to continue to grow it. And two, I felt that it's a good opportunity opportunity for me to supply a significant liquidity event to, you know, my investors and, but also, you know, to the employees that worked very hard in order to get to the stage that we got Uh, and then kind of restructure, you know, how the company is structured uh, with Vista having a majority stake in the company and continuing to grow the business because I was very positive about, you know, where the business can go. And that's why I decided uh, that that's kind of the right thing to do. So it was a win-win situation for everybody. You know, investors made a significant amount of money, employees made money, um, you know, and uh, it allowed us to focus on the right thing and continue to invest in the business. And also, we need to remember, run independently, right? Sometimes when you get acquired by uh, some strategic acquirer, the business gets integrated and, you know, into some division or something and, that, you know, under Vista's ownership or majority ownership, we're running independently as a company and, you know, they are letting us continue to run and grow, which is a great thing.
0: Now, it's, I, I, it's very interesting that, um, you know, you're co-founded the company, CEO, and you're still CEO. That's rare of somebody that's able to take a company from an idea, execute, scale, and remain in that role after an acquisition. So, what advice would you give to other founders that are trying to do the same, as far as you know, maintain that um, you know leadership role as CEO within a company, as you know, it's their own idea originally and. Watching it yeah, scale. so
1: I, I, you know, I'm a huge believer in founders and, you know, you need to remember that VCs are a huge believer in founders and they, and basically any acquirer is a huge believer in founders, meaning a company is worth more with a founder still in the company than with a founder not within the company. I think there's certain occasions where, um, you know, it's not a fit anymore for someone to continue to be a CEO. And I think it's important to a founder to realize when uh, you know when the time has come for him to kind of move or give the reins to someone else, but as long as uh, you know you feel that you continue to grow and learn, and 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 as long as you feel that, uh, and as long as you feel that the uh, the company is doing well and growing, I think it's a great opportunity. You know, again, the company is worth much more with a founder in it than the founder is not in it. Now, again. Not every founder CEO uh, can scale all the way from zero to a hundred and even beyond that. Uh, And that's okay. I mean, some founders are more built around idea innovation and then building the technology and then moving on. Some of them are better at later stage, right? Uh, But I think as every founder, one recommendation that I have is that you're not going to do everything by yourself uh, because you're not good at everything. Uh, You may know a lot but you're not good at everything. So focus on what you do well and surround yourself with a great leadership in areas where you know, you're not that great, right? Uh, if you're not that great in technology, focus on getting the best VP engineering that you can get. If you don't understand go-to-market, you know, your CRO, your VP sales is the most important piece, right? So really bring the right leadership in order to make you successful because there's no way that you can be good at everything.
0: And when you look back at the business and when, you, while you were in scale and, you know, throughout the history of the company, like, what, what do you remember as being like the hardest thing of scaling the business? Cause you did get to the point of, you know, zero revenue to where you are today. You know, was it perfecting the sales model? Was it the go-to-market strategy? Like, like, what, what, what do you remember? Like, man, it took us a long time to get it right.
1: <clears throat> so it takes a long time to get building a brand right. Okay. Sometimes you get lucky, but most of the time it takes time. It takes time to build a management team and a leadership team that can hire good people and scale the business. Like really A players, because we need to remember that A players bring A players. So you as a CEO needs to surround yourself with A players in order to be successful. Um, and then, you know, obviously sales is hard. You need to remember that you're going you're asking people to give you money for some things that you presumably are going to do for them, uh, or the software that you're going to give them is going to do for them. And you know, that, that is a hard thing to do, right. To convince people. Um, and I think you do that by focusing on your customers. Like for us, you know, applause is a super important thing into what we do. both It's not just a brand for us. It's really delivering applause to our customers, delivering applause to our global community, and delivering applause to our employees. So I think culture is, starts to play a huge role in that. And, you know, when you build a company like that, there's many, I would say, um, areas that, you know, are problematic and you need to learn from them and you need to evolve. It's never a linear it's never a linear growth, right? You're always you always going to hit hard times. And and then if you have the right people that are sitting, sitting together, playing as a group, playing as a team, they're going to figure it out.
0: Now, what about, you touched upon getting the right uh, executive team in place. So the management team, which as you're growing a business, there's different stages of a company that maybe the leadership team is cut out to do the zero to 5 million, the five to 10, the 10 you know, to, to 50, the 50 to a hundred. So how did you evolve the management team based on that, you know, parameters? You talked about Matt Johnston, who was like one of the best CMOs in Boston. And, and, you know, he did such a great job with your company Yet his career grew and he became CEO of a company, right? So that was good for, you know, for State, everyone, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so how did you continue to evolve the management team based on, uh, Phases of the company.
1: Yeah, so building a management team is a lot of hard work because it's not just build. It's not just hiring individuals. They also need to collaborate and and work as a team. So they need to get along, right? Because that's how you get the maximum out of them, and that's how they also enjoy coming to work, right? Um, And you know, it is a relay race. That's exactly what it is. So you know, when you hire someone, you know, if he gives you two to three good years. That's very nice. If he gives you five to seven years, that's amazing, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, kind of Matt Johnson. You know, he was, you know, I think seven years with applause. But, you know, two to three years is great. And uh, you do need to think about it like a relay race. And I think it's especially true in sales, uh, meaning the same guys that will do evangelistic selling with a CEO to get to the first million, is not the guy that will build build the infrastructure to get to five, and is not the guy that will build the 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 guy or girl that will build an infrastructure to get to twenty-five or fifty, and then it's not the same person that can scale it beyond that. So that's kind of how you need to think about it. You always need to think about okay, what is the barrier? Where does this end? How do I get the next one up? And that's exactly how it is.
0: Now you've been an angel investor and a board member of startups. What advice would you give to others that are interested in doing the same, getting into angel investing or joining, you know, as a a member of the board of directors for a company?
1: Yeah. So, so angel, so angel investing is hard. (laughs) Uh, You know, most, most people don't make any money from angel investing and, and by the way, I actually was fortunate enough to make money from angel investing, but I, I mainly do it not in order to make money. That's kind of my honest answer. I do it because I enjoy helping you know, early entrepreneurs that are building a business. And most importantly, it's not just about money. Uh, every time I give a, you know, a company some money as an angel investor, I also spend some my time in order to help them. Obviously, if they want it, but I, I spend my time in order to help them scale and give them from my experience, uh, from my connection, from my introductions, because I don't just believe in, you know, for me, I don't believe just in, you know, giving money and, and moving on. Now, um, I think in order to be successful at angel investing, you know, you kind of got to start small, but, you know, my focus is on the people, Right. Uh, I'm a huge believer that it's people that build a company. Uh, and if you focus on the right CEO, the right management team and some kind of a good idea, they'll make it happen. So it's people first for me. Uh, and then after that, it's, you know, idea market sizing, stuff like that, because I think people, good people figure it out. Smart people figure it out. So that's kind of how I focus. And, you know, from an independent board member, yeah. You know, I've I've been an independent board member on a few companies. I think uh, that have done really well. So you know, Runkeeper, I've been an independent board member. There. They sold to Asics with a very good outcome. Uh, I've been a board member on Grabcard again, two Boston companies. They they sold to Stratasys at the time. Uh, and again, for me, it was getting experience as an independent board member. But more importantly than that, building the relationship and really helping young entrepreneurs, you know, go past the phase, like get to the phase that I got to. Uh, and that's really enjoyable for me. And, and, and by the way, I do like this early stage uh, because it's an exciting stage. And that's why I, I like to take an active role as an independent board member or as an angel investor.
0: And did, uh, you know, so Hardy from GrabCad and Jason Jacobs from Runkeeper, like, did they seek you out? Cause there was, you know, community is a big piece of those, you know, companies as well.
1: Uh, so, you know, I think Hardy seeks me out. I think he saw me speaking at an event around the community and that's how we connected. Uh, and then Hardy introduced me to, after I helped Hardy, he introduced me to Jason and I helped Jason. Uh, and there's a few more companies that uh, I'm invested in as well, uh, you know, here in the Bay Area as well. But again, for me, in order to invest as an angel investor, I want to be involved uh, with a founder and CEO and see that I can actually help it. if it's not, If it's an area which is not in my domain, I can't really help, then, you know, I wouldn't invest
0: so are there any uh books that you that you've read recently that you would recommend um you know entrepreneurial or they could just be you know for fun yeah so you know i honestly
1: i started listening more to podcasts than actually reading books <laughs> i agree well, obviously i'm <laughs> uh, i think it's a uh, i think it takes uh, less energy and you you know you can listen to them on flights at an airport and it's a it's actually, you know, pretty entertaining. So I do listen to your podcast, which is great, by the way. So Awesome. So, thank, so you. thank you. Thank you for having me again. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I would say that one of the podcasts that I listen to, it's a, it's a guy called Rich Roll. Uh, he's from Southern California. And, you know, he's, a, he's an ex-lawyer that kind of turned vegan and focuses on, you know, I would say mentoring people in life. Uh, that's a great podcast that I listen to. Um, and then a book, uh, what's the latest one? Um, so th- there's a book, it, it's kind of, I think it's kind of a life book, but it's, it's primarily around athleticism and Ironman. It's by a guy called, uh, he's, he's a world famous coach. It's called, his name is Matt Fitzgerald. And the title of the book is How Bad Do You Want It? Mm. And he talks about the power of the brain and the mind over the body. Uh, and it's true to, It relates to everything. It relates to sports. It also relates to business or career life. And it just talks about, you know, how can you, how can you use the power of the mind in order to
0: be successful? So that's kind
1: of the last book that I read.
0: I haven't heard of that book yet. So I do want to check that out. I love the How bad, how bad do you want it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, I like, You know, I, I, you know, usually hear, you know, hard thing about hard things or, you know, shoe dog Phil Knight, which I, you know, I read both those books and they are absolutely amazing. Um, And, you know, the uh, shoe dog was just I when I opened it, I didn't expect to to read what I read of how much of a fight it was to build Nike from the early. Like, I love that that story was about the early days of Nike, not the, you know. Michael Jordan era where they had a brand and success and where they are today. It was the fight of keeping that company alive. It was amazing. And, and by the way, I think every time you
1: you, you read a book from a founder or you, you hear a podcast or whatever, you know, there are challenges, right? And, you know, I think overcoming the challenges is like one unique aspect that the founder CEO needs to have, right? He needs to be able
0: to overcome challenges all the time. All the time. That's what it's all about, the fight. All the time. <laughs> well, Duran, thanks so much for taking the time for walking us through your background, all the great uh, you know, stories that you shared about applause, and, of course, all the great advice, too. Yeah, my pleasure. And, of course, applause is hiring. So if you are interested in checking out opportunities at this great company, there's lots of uh, job listings on their biz page on VentureFizz, which is VentureFizz.com backslash applause. Duran, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Have a great day.